Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 152nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And we will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Gary Action Jackson from the East Coast of the United States of America. We thank you for tuning in here lately. Our 150th was great. Got to talk to Steve Kilby of the church while they're on their North American Hypnogog tour. And on the 151st episode, we got to listen to Rush's third live album, A Show of Hands, from their controversial, well, maybe not controversial, but divisive 80s stage. And you know, every time that we have an anniversary show, which are first, second, or it will soon be third year anniversary since a show was released, we'll pub that out on social media. And recently, we had the two-year anniversary of when we reviewed Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which had just turned 50 at that time. Really kind of an amazing album. And it was a bit of a departure for us because it's more of an R&B album, right? It's not really something that we usually do. I just thought because of its cultural significance and the fact that it was having a big milestone, it would make for a great show. And it did. Jackson and I really got to explore some music we didn't know that well other than the big hits and really... Think about the social consequences of everything that was happening then and happening now. So we thought, all right, we don't always have to do huge rock albums, even though that's what we know and love. We can mix it up a little bit, take our life experience and what certain albums meant to us. Well, we were looking for a theme for a Halloween kind of show. And without some of the obvious ones, I thought, you know what? What about Thriller? Thriller is a scary movie, amazing video, huge seller, the biggest selling album of all time. And it hit us at a time in our lives when we were just starting to get into music. Thriller was, in fact, the first cassette that I ever owned. And we talk about that during the show. Jackson didn't own it because everybody else did. I mean, parents did. Older siblings had it. It was all over the radio. It was all over MTV. Couldn't get away from it. So he didn't really feel the need to own it, right? But it was a huge Huge deal with songs like Billie Jean and Beat It and Thriller, The Girl Is Mine, Human Nature, PYT. I mean, it goes on and on. Seven hit singles, seven in the top 10, seven platinum selling singles. The biggest selling album of all time. And it's going to be turning 41 right around Thanksgiving. We thought it'd be a good time 
to celebrate Thriller and what it really meant to us growing up in the 80s. I mean, when Michael Jackson did the moonwalk on Motown 25, it changed my life. It changed a lot of people's lives. It was must-see television. And the Thriller premiere, which is not only like a 15-minute video, but it also had a making-of video along with it. Such a big deal for MTV and for Michael Jackson, obviously, and for 10-year-old kids everywhere and I was one of them, and I mean 10-year-old kids from ages 6 to 60, it was a big deal. Cultural phenomenon unlike anything we've really seen since. So we're going to get into Thriller Go track by track here shortly. But first, we do have a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to talk about the fact that we are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, a network of about 100 different shows out there. Not all rock music. There really is something in there for everyone. I encourage you to check it out at www.pantheonpodcast.com or at Pantheon Pods on social media. And you've got to do yourself a favor and go to rarevinyl.com. Guys, Rare Vinyl may be in the UK, but they ship all around the world and they have over a quarter of a million items in stock. And that includes some Michael Jackson and Jackson Vive stuff. But they have everything, CDs, DVDs, albums, singles, programs, ticket stubs, point of sale items from record stores. You really can't miss. And if you use the code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, you can save 10% off your orders. Now, the holidays are coming up. Maybe you need to get something special for that special someone. Maybe you want to get yourself something special and then give it to your partner and say, hey, you know what? Wrap this up for me, honey. This is what you can get me for the holidays. Do that. I do it every year, and I always get the records that I want. But check out rarevinyl.com. Use a code UGLY. It's a one-time code, so don't just get one $10 CD you can get anywhere. Go find that rare first edition. Go find that thing from Europe that you can't get in America. Go find the thing that you wanted since you were a kid, or maybe you used to have it and now it's gone. Go find that rare item or items. Use the code UGLY. Save yourself a lot of money. Maybe get all the shipping knocked off of there. But Michael Jackson could not have been bigger during the Thriller era. Thanks to MTV. Thanks to the Pepsi ad that he did with Alfonso Ribeiro. Thanks to the fact that Paul McCartney and Mick Jagger did songs with him at some point during this time. He could not have been bigger. Biggest thing in the whole world. So that's what this one's all about. Episode 152, folks. We're doing Michael Jackson's Thriller right here on The Wolf. So as we're approaching Halloween here, Jackson, mm-hmm. and the 41st anniversary of the release of Thriller, mm-hmm. obviously it was a game changer album for the industry and for people our age coming out, you know, late 82, dominated the charts in 83 and 84, but I'd kind of forgotten I hadn't forgotten the cultural impact, but I'd kind of forgotten just how big it really was. How big was it to you growing up? So I knew you were going to ask me that question. (laughs) And in thinking about that, I never had this record and I've never listened to this record purposely. You've, You've never listened to Thriller all the way through. Never listened to it all the way through. However, I know other than the two songs that Baby Be Mine and the lady in my life mm-hmm. i know all of these songs like the back of my hand so to your point yes it was inescapable yes growing up like it was it was on the radio everybody i did not have a copy of it everybody i knew had a copy of it from people our age up to adults yeah 
people that never they, they never had another record like this like in the same genre they had mm-hmm. thrower everybody had a copy of thrower you could take this record to the ends of the earth to people who don't speak english and show them this oh yeah michael jackson i know who that is yes, exactly. it's it, it's enormous and what i didn't really realize too is that it was always around for us yeah right like you didn't really remember a time when it wasn't around but apparently this was a huge deal for African American artists. Mm. Like it was it was the first time anybody who was who was African American had had this big of a record and it didn't even phase me. It was always like, yeah, like Michael Jackson's always been around. He's always been a huge star. Yeah. I don't remember a time when that wasn't true. It, even before this came out, you knew him from the Jackson 5, right? He was Correct. He'd been right. around since before we were really understood what music was or pop music or whatever. Right. Like ABC. Yeah, I remember that one. It was a big one. Sure. It's been on the radio a long time. Now, this was the first cassette that I ever owned. Mm-hmm. And I used to keep my cassettes in a in a case. And I kept them in the order in which I got them for the longest time. Okay. I stopped that in college because it was like I wanted to ditch some of the 80s pop cassettes that I knew I wasn't going to listen to anymore. And that included Thriller. But, I, you know, I wanted to keep, you know, like the Rush and the ACDC and the Rolling Stones and the ones that I'd had, you know, in mm. that genre. But I still have it. He, here it is, the cassette Ooh. on Epic Records. It's still got the crack in the side of it there mm-hmm. um, from when it got dropped in the car one day, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But you're right. I mean, old people loved it. Young people loved it. People of all races and creeds liked it. You know, I would listen to it in the car with my mother. Because mm-hmm. she liked it, because everybody liked it, you know. And seeing him on the Motown 25th anniversary doing the moonwalk mm-hmm. totally changed the world. Totally changed the world. You say, well, Motown is, you know, it's it's black music. I'm like, well, obviously it, it is made by black folks. And it was a real business owned, you know, operated by Barry Gordy. But like my parents, I know your parents were more into like swing and big band stuff. My parents were all into Motown because that's mm. what would get you dancing. That's what could get the girls to make out and stuff. Yes, my dad eventually got into the harder rock and roll in the later 60s, but it was like that in Motown. That was the soundtrack to their lives. Mm. That whole generation, really. Right. And and like you mentioned, I mean, the Jackson 5 had been around forever. And so the, the transition to him being a, a solo star while I'm sure it didn't make the rest of the family happy, was kind of the natural progression. You know, he, he kind of to get away from that and do his own thing and not be a child anymore. Yeah, that was huge. I didn't realize that Off the Wall was that big either. Like, I, I had heard the songs from it, but I think that's a 10 million seller also, right? It, it is, but a lot of that was buoyed by the fact, by Thriller, right? I mm-hmm. mean, like, I think it was a platinum album, but it was kind of big, like you said, like in the black community and the disco community, mm-hmm. you know, and the and it, and it got huge, you know, wind in its sales after Thriller came out. Like, I've got off the wall, too. I haven't listened to it that much. But it was just like, once you had Thriller and you listen to that 500 times, like, what else is there? You know, yeah. I'm like, all right, well, he's got off the wall and Quincy produced that one, too. Right. So, all right, well, I'll pick that one up. But the other thing that... It's hard to imagine now just because it's pretty commonplace now. But back then, lead singers who left their band that made them famous never really hit it that big. It was always the lead singer could go off and do their own thing. Maybe Diana Ross Mm -hmm. had a big career after the Supremes. But for the most part, 
nobody went solo from a band and had any kind of real success because the band still has the band and brand name. They still have all the tunes and they have everybody, but maybe the lead singer who left, you know, so it, it just, it didn't work really that way. And, and people are a little skeptical. Oh, like, oh, no, he left the band. He's not, you know, the big anymore. That's why, like, when David Lee Roth left to go solo, like, oh, that's not going to work. And Peter Cetera leaves Chicago. Oh, that's not going to work. Stevie Nicks is doing thing outside of Fleetwood Mac. Oh, that's not going to work. It's like, you know, it just didn't happen. And now it's it's pretty common that if you're in a band, you probably, the lead singer can go on and have a solo career if they want. It's really not that odd. Mm-hmm. Well, and to his credit, he did surround himself with fairly talented people to launch him into the, a solo star. Absolutely. I mean, the talent all over this album is is crazy. And the um, the budget was pretty, <laughs> pretty off the charts. I mean, I, I saw the budgets like in 81 or 82, $750,000 budget. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like $2.3 million today. Taylor Swift doesn't have $2.3 million to make a new album. Yeah, I think if she asked for that, they would say probably no. Yeah. But I mean, so was that, was that, that was Quincy Jones though, right? Like he, he was the muscle that allowed them to spend that much money. Yeah. And, and off the wall was a hit. And so it's like, yeah, you know, we can make this right. We can make it killer. Just give us the budget and CBS, Epic, Motown, whoever you want to call it. So they're all, you know, when you have a success like this, there's a lot of fathers, you know, who, who kind of claim, yes, well, you know, this was part of my plan all along kind of thing. All I know is that you're right. Seven singles. There's nine songs on the record, seven singles that you heard on the radio Mm -hmm. and they all got into the top 10 in America. All of them, (laughs) all of them. Now having seven singles on any album is kind of amazing. And then if you got all of them in the top 40, that would be a record. But this one, every single single got in the top 10 in America and a lot of other places around the world. And not only are we talking Thriller being the biggest selling album of all time, right? Bigger than Dark Side of the Moon, bigger than Back in Black, bigger than Eagles Volume 1, might have over 100 million sales. They don't even really know. It's right. triple diamond in the US. 34 million in verified sales. United States alone. Unbelievable. But then all the singles... Some of the singles are diamond. (laughs) Most of the singles are platinum. Can you imagine having this multi-platinum album and then all the singles are platinum and multi-platinum? It's unbelievable. And I'm looking at the release date through 1983. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. Every, and and in 1982, because they pre, they always do a launch, a pre-release single to kind of jazz everybody up. Just boom, 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 boom. You couldn't get away from Michael Jackson if you wanted to. And then by the end of 83, Thriller, the video comes out on MTV. Oh my God, dude. Epic, huge appointment television. And then they had the making of too, right? Oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, because the video was longer than the song. They kind of stretched it out so Michael could do his choreographed dance move with all the zombies in his red zombie jacket then the making of was huge you know it was a movie unto itself i don't know if we'll ever see a pop culture moment where one person really owns everything for that long not not like that for a year yeah well i mean you you mentioned taylor swift and at this point in time while we're recording the show she is probably the biggest pop star in the world right now i mean she's selling out all over the world 
She's selling a ton of records, but she, even she does not have the command of pop culture the way that Michael Jackson was. You mentioned that Thriller video. Everybody that we knew, every single person, they hyped it for what, two or three weeks. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's whatever day it was going to drop. Everybody was in front of the TV. It was it was all anybody was talking about from kids to adults to everybody. They were going to tune in to see this thing. Exactly. And when he did the moonwalk on the Motown 25th. Mm-hmm. Every kid in the fifth grade is doing the moonwalk <laughs> or all trying. over school. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but, you know, <laughs> I had to wear those penny loafers back then to school, and they were pretty smooth on the bottom. So I could, you know, mm-hmm. I could get a little bit better at it. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. It was mind-boggling. It's like, how did he even do that? Mm-hmm. You, you never see anything like that. Like, is that even possible? And, you know, breakdancing was starting to kind of become big. And then he's got this move that no one else had seen before. And then, of, of course... Everyone's doing it, right? But no one did it quite like him. Right. And you were talking about the video. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, especially for that one track, the two do not exist separately. Like they're always, like whenever you think of Thriller, you mm-hmm. always think of the video. You know, yes, you've heard the song a million times and you've, you've heard it on the radio, but it really, it's not the same thing without seeing the video too. I mean, you had John Landis direct mm-hmm. it. That's right. And Rick Baker do the uh, special effects. Special the effects. Yeah, right, special correct. Yeah. Academy Award winner who, of course, did the original American Werewolf in London. That's right. And did basically everything that Eddie Murphy has ever done. Anytime he does a, a movie and he mm-hmm. plays different characters, you know, like whether it's like playing all the different clumps, right, in The Nutty Professor or the different stuff that he does. Anytime he does that, Rick Baker is his guy. And I don't know how many Oscars Rick Baker's won, but they they probably ought to rename it the Rick Baker <laughs> Oscar for makeup, you know, because he, he's, he's nominated like every year and he's won a ton. He's a genius that way. But I mean, yeah. From October 18th is when the uh, the first single came out of 1982 through November 5th of 1983 when the last single came out. This kind of chart dominance you'll never see, you'll never see again. And you could almost argue that there was a, what did it say, seven singles? So an eighth single off that record, but not really because Say, Say, Say came out in... October of 83. That's right. And I'm going to bet you most people thought that was off of Thriller at the time. Possibly. It certainly had the wind in its sails. And yes, mm-hmm. in that same box, I had the Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney, partly because it had <laughs> Say, Say, Say on it. Now, I have to correct myself. You were right. It had already sold off the wall 10 million copies. Oh, by the time Thriller came out. By the out. time Thriller came okay. out. Now it's 20 million. So it got oh, another geez. 10 million thanks to Thanks to that. And about half of that is in the United States. But no, yeah, it, I was incorrect about that. So you're right. It, it, it had sold 10 million. So it awfully, it had done awfully well around the world. And that's why you get the 750000 yeah. equating to $2.3 million today. Good Lord. We got to start getting into you, this, but Jesus. Yeah, and I was going to say, that's, that's when you start to, it, you wonder if the hype or the legend of the record takes over. Because from what I was reading, like he wanted to make us, uh, he wanted to make this record. He wanted to make a record where every single track on there could be a single. Mm-hmm. So was that the, was that really the case? I don't know. I mean, it sounds it sounds about right, especially if you're coming off of a big record. You want one that's even bigger. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was Mutt Lang telling Def Leppard, "All right, great, you got three or four singles off Pyromania. Next one, you have five, six, yeah. seven. And they did. 
mm-hmm. basically. But I mean, you could see the talent all around. Obviously, Quincy Jones is a genius, genius producer. I think he's got the most Grammys of all time, like 50 or something. <laughs> Sick like that. And if I'm not mistaken, Thriller won about eight. But I mean, some of that was to Quincy. And then Quincy kind of continued to win Grammys over the years. But if you look at some of the people who contributed to this album, because usually we do albums and it's like, oh, and by the way, this person played guitar on track six, but it's mm-hmm. mostly the band. Or this person came in and, and threw some stuff in here. The people like the personnel who also contributed to this album besides Quincy and Michael is unbelievable. And I can't name everybody. And and we don't know who all these people are. Some of them are going to be amazing. We don't really know who they are, but David Foster, but we know who he is, right? I mean, the incredible songwriter producer. You just going to say, speaking of tons of Grammys, tons of Grammys. Yeah. He has about 18 though. Yeah. Yeah, you know, nothing compared to Quincy Jones. You know, he did he did keyboard on The Girl Is Mine, so he could, you know, get on a, a Paul McCartney tune or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's see who else here. Janet's on it. Janet and LaToya are doing background vocals on, I believe that's PYT. James Ingram, <laughs> who is, you know, a, a talented guy, did a little keyboards on a couple stuff, did some arrangements. Lewis Johnson is a killer bass player. And mm-hmm. there's some great bass throughout this that we can point out. You know, he played on some stuff with George Bass. He played on a, on stuff. You want me to talk about who Lewis Johnson played with over the years? Here's here's just part of the list. Anita Baker, Aretha Franklin, Billy Preston, Bill Withers, Bjork, Denise Williams, Donna Summer, Herbie Hancock, Irene Cara, John Mellencamp, Karen Carpenter, Kenny Loggins, Lee Rittenhauer, Natalie Cole, Paul McCartney, Peebo Bryson, Phil Collins, the Pointer Sisters, Sister Sledge, Stanley Clark, Stevie Nicks, Stevie Wonder, Temptation, Supremes. I mean, it's unbelievable all the talent that was there. Steve Lukather, who's most famous for being in Toto. Don mm-hmm. Landy was the engineer because he helped with Eddie Van Halen's part on Beat mm-hmm. It. You know, obviously Paul McCartney on track three. A lot of Toto people. David Pache, the Percaro brothers who wrote songs. You got Vincent Price doing the voiceover <laughs> on Thriller. David Williams on guitar, who I could do a similar list for David Williams as far as all the people he's played with. So there's all these like unbelievably talented, you might call them session people, but these are people who had long careers in the music business and people like Quincy Jones knows the good from the bad and can pick out, yes, you're going to come in on this track. I just need a little bit of this from you here. I mean, there's like six drummers and and eight people who play synthesizer or something crazy on this thing. Well, that was the whole thing with Eddie Van Halen, right? You don't go outside the band. You never do anything outside the band. It's Van Halen only. The phone rings and it's Quincy Jones. I'll be right over. Yes, I got to do it. Yeah, you don't say no to him. And, well, actually, for once he figured out it was really him, not somebody messing with him. Right. He, he went right over. And no, he didn't get paid, but he didn't care. No, and that was, there was a great, I can't, I don't remember if it was Guitar Player magazine, I think it was, or maybe Guitar World. There was a great, like, comic, basically, that they put in there about the day that he got the call from Quincy Jones. Like, hello, 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 boom, and he slams down the phone. And he calls back, well, this better be good. Hello, hey, it's Quincy Jones. Want to come down here? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. <laughs> he comes down and, and lights it up. But we'll get there. There's a lot mm-hmm. to get to on this album. All right, let's start from the beginning here. Hi, my name is Renee Richardson from the Metallica Report, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Did I get that right?
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Start from the beginning. Track one, want to be starting something. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff on this. <laughs> a lot of synthesizer. A lot of technology. Kind of a disco song. Kind of an R and B song. Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised they started off with it, but it is an upbeat track, and you want to start upbeat. So yeah, I remember you you put this on, and you're kind of off and running with "Wanna Be Starting Something." Do you remember hearing this on the radio? Oh yes. Yeah, the the I think the drum beat on this doesn't get enough credit because it's it's pretty cool, and it didn't sound like anything else. Like yeah, you're right. Like what kind of song is this? Well, it's kind of this and it's kind of that, and it's kind of its own thing too. And it's interesting that a lot of this stuff from the early '80s has aged pretty well. Yeah, I like mean, you, you could put this on now and people would still like if you put it on in a club, people would get people excited. would go off. Absolutely, yeah. they would. Which is weird because by 1982, disco was 
persona non grata. You mm-hmm. know, it's like nobody wants disco. R and B is cool, but no, no, no disco. And it, but it's obviously got some pieces of that. It was the fourth single. It was released May eighth of eighty three, and it was backed with Rock with You Live. Rock with You being from Off the Wall, of course. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's programmed. I mean, it, it sounds like zero like live instruments were played during this. I mean, except for maybe then are there horns? I don't know. But number five on the Billboard chart, number eight in the UK, one number one in Canada. They're loving it up in Canada there and in the <laughs> Netherlands where I used to live. But it went platinum. It's a platinum single. Single. In the US. It's unbelievable. Now mm-hmm. it's upbeat, but if you listen to the lyrics, it's it's a little bit paranoid. You know, <laughs> that everybody's kind of talking about you or after you and it's talking about don't have a baby. If you can't take care of the baby. Yeah. Doing research, I had no idea that he originally wrote this for LaToya. All right. And then it was going to maybe be on Off the Wall or something. And then we changed it around and updated it a little bit and put it on the front side of this, the first song to kick off this unbelievable record. And we're off and running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what are they saying at the end of it? Uh, I don't know, but I'll, but I do, I will tell you that that's another thing that everybody knows. You don't know what they're saying, but you've heard it a million times. Exactly. So I'm a kid. I don't really know what they're saying. I look it up. It's mama say, mama sa, mama kusa, mama say, mama sa, mama kusa. Apparently it's a hook from a 1972 single by Cameroonian musician, Manu Dibango. Okay. From a single soul, Makosa. All right. And of course, eventually got sued because i was gonna gonna say that's coming at some point in time (laughs) you can't have you can't have that big of a deal without somebody eventually getting back to this person saying hey that was mine yeah correct and i'm funny i i don't see my name on the album here and i sure haven't seen a check right so it was you know i guess he made the claim a few months before michael died and it was after rihanna i guess had maybe done some kind of cover on it or something like that they settled and now in later releases he's included as a songwriter on it because you know right now it's michael jackson and that's it as far as we were concerned back in the day mm-hmm. produced by quincy and michael but they added it to to that again i always kind of figured it would become a single because i'd heard it so much because you, you play the record mm-hmm. and you, you hear this from the start you know it's upbeat and you start hopping around to it. it's got that i'm gonna say i'm gonna say i'm gonna say thing at the end of it But it's not it's not just all happy pop on here. Some of this is talking about people being, you know, not cool to you, worrying about what's going on in your life. And, and this is kind of a theme that kind of tracks throughout the record a lot more than Off the Wall ever did. Mm-hmm. So this is more him growing up and talking about things that possibly affected him as an adult. Right. Although he's still awfully young at this point. I mean, he's this comes out in 80 two late 82 he's only 24 years old yeah but not not he's really, an old no. 24 yeah he's because correct. he's been performing yes. on tv and stages around the world since he's a little kid mm-hmm. but still at 24 you're still a young person and i don't know i mean some people will say those people are more mature right because they've been working hard and People have been depending on them for a long time. They've been forced, you know, is it Taylor Swift a more mature 24-year-old when she's 24? 
I'm like, yeah, but she also like didn't really go to school. She's not right. around. You, you missed that on being a child, right? There's some stuff yeah. you you don't do well, and obviously Michael had some issues. We're, we're not allegedly gonna get, yes too far into all that. We're really just right. kind of wanting to review the quality of this record. But yeah, uh, obviously he turned into a fucking weirdo. But <laughs> you know, this is the longest song on the album at just over six minutes. And part of that's because it's got that kind of African jam at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But I like it. I mean, it's it's a fun way to kick off the record. Yeah. And and again, it's one of those where it's like the the beat is so is so synonymous like you know what it is mm-hmm. and it's still it like i said it still sounds pretty fresh today it does now all of this sounds really mm-hmm. good today as well, far as i'm not concerned. all of it but well okay because we're gonna talk about that in a minute yes all right so and speaking of which the next song baby be mine mm-hmm. was written by an englishman called rodney temperton or rod mm-hmm. Rod Temperton. Rod to his friends, correct. Yes, Rod to his buddies. And he worked with Quincy Jones on Off the Wall, you know, wrote Rock With You, wrote Off the Wall. So he's like, okay, of course I'm going to contribute more to the next album if Quincy wants me. He wrote Give Me the Night by George Benson, which, you know, everybody likes, I feel like. Wrote Boogie Nights. You know, he wrote some disco hits, right? So he's like, okay, let's put him in here. He's got three rights on this album. So he wrote Mm -hmm. a third of the songs on the record. However, <laughs> however, he wrote two of those three songs were the two they did not release as singles, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily write the best songs on the album. But Baby Be Mine is not a bad song. Maybe it wasn't a huge hit. And it definitely has a more disco feel to it. Mm-hmm. But Michael's voice is fantastic on this song. And really the whole album. But I'm like, I really think it stands out on this one. Yeah, that's what I have written down here is that if this had been another person or if this had been another record, this probably would have been a single and could have even been a hit. It just yeah. gets lost on this thing. Absolutely true. absolutely true you know baby be mine i I, you know i mean you listen to this right after the first one Mm -hmm. haven't gotten any of the really big hits yet although i mean it's hard to say that a top five record (laughs) want to be starting something isn't a big hit but again you're yes you're talking about yeah you're talking about this in the context of this record if anybody else had a top five platinum single off a record that would be that would have been a hit, and that was it. Like you didn't, you hadn't heard another song off of that. You would say, "Yeah, that was a hit record." Yes, I had a big hit with that. But that's just it's not it's second best on this thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you've got like three different guys playing synth and keyboard on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Page, who's famous of Toto with the big kind of top hat, sitting playing the piano. Yeah. He's on this. Steve Picaro's on it. He's also a founding member of Toto, and also Greg. I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but Greg Filinganis, 
Uh, could be filling gains, but uh, he's played with all sorts of people. All three of them are contributing keys to this at some point, you know. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of talent being poured into this thing. Uh, again, I liked it. I like Baby Be Mine. You know, it was. I mean, I'm ten at the time. You know, I'm just kind of starting to to kind of like girls a little bit. Uh, so I'm starting to figure out, oh, you're singing this to girls, although he probably technically wasn't. But we're not getting into yeah, that right now. We're yeah. not going down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is this is kind of the, the mindset, the brain that I'm thinking of. You got to sing songs for girls. This is the kind of stuff uh, you got to do. And I, I had literally had never heard this song until probably three days ago. Is and that right? You you never listened to Thriller nope. with any of your friends or anything? Nope. Like that. Wow. Nope. I had I had no. It, because to me it was it was too. It was ubiquitous. It, I understand. Right, right, right. It was like <laughs> it was like I heard it all the time anyway. I I I didn't want to say oh well I'll just listen to it on my own. But yeah, that's what I thought about this this thing. This would have been a hit for anybody else. Yeah. But it just gets it just gets swallowed up. It's not a bad song. No. It's just not as strong as everything else. Well, that's right. That's right. And that's the way you have to look at it through this lens of thriller. Correct. Great song. Great folks on it. Would have been a hit for everyone else. But no one needs an eighth single off of Thriller. Right. But this would have been the eighth single. If there was okay, going yeah. to be an eighth single, this would okay. have been it. You know. We'll get to the ninth song later. <laughs> okay. Now, cruising to the third song. The Girl is Mine, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. duet with Sir Paul McCartney. Right. And shockingly enough, at least to me, because I couldn't remember, this is the first single off the album. This came out o- October 18th, ahead of the release of the album, which was around Thanksgiving of 1982. Yeah, released November 29th, 1982, which I'm guessing was actually the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, if I had to guess because they used to release stuff on Tuesdays back then. But it's weird that a lot of the release dates on this album were around holidays of some sort. Well, okay. I mean, sales-wise, who knows if that's they were trying to pump it for that specific time. I don't know. Maybe, but I mean, you know, Thriller comes out right after Thanksgiving, before the Christmas holiday. It's always good mm-hmm. to get it out. You don't right. want to release it the week of Christmas. You want to release it before that so you can get some hype, so people get excited and then want to get it for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But the second single, Billie Jean, was released January 2nd, so right after New Year's. Beat It, the third single, was released on Valentine's Day. Human Nature was released July 3rd, right before July 4th, so it would be out for the holiday weekend. you know. Um, and then Thriller... The uh, the song was released November 5th, but the video was released December 2nd, 1983. Again, right before the holidays. So, you mm-hmm. know, trying to kind of capitalize on, I guess, a wave of that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, this is one that I guess he wrote on his own, Michael. But did he give Paul credit? He didn't. Uh, I don't see that he did. No, he didn't. Whereas Say, 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 I think he also wrote that basically on his own, but he did give Paul credit to put it on his own album. And look, compared to Say, 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 this is a pretty weak song. It's it's a little schmaltzy, right? It's Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. easy listening, but that's another chart that they can go up, right? So this was number two on the Billboard chart. Number eight in the UK was backed with Can't Get Out of the Rain, which is back on, uh, on some other singles too. It's a platinum single in the U.S., number one on the R&B chart and number one on the adult contemporary chart. So 
That's number one, number one, and number two out of three big charts in the U.S. So it was a big deal, and I know that it's the first one after Off the Wall. It features Paul McCartney, so that's going to get it some attention. But the song is is kind of weak. <laughs> I think if, if McCartney wasn't on this, you would have forgotten all about it. If he just sang it by himself or sang it with somebody else. Could you make the argument that this was actually bigger for Paul McCartney than it was for Michael Jackson? Probably. Because, it, because he had, I mean... He had huge success in the 70s with Wings, obviously, right. with the Beatles in the 60s. We get that. But at this point in time, he was he was kind of like an old person. Old like news, to, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. And I know he did, he did Ebony and Ivory, and that was a big hit. But again, that was with Stevie Wonder, who was another old person. So for mm-hmm. young for him to be associated with this hot, young artist, Talent, yeah. I think, yeah, kind of introduced him to a whole other generation of people. Yeah, no, I mean, that was the thing. They were like, Mick Jagger, you have to quit by the time you're 30. You're just going to be too old to do what you do at 30, you know? And there were no 40-year-old rock stars back then, right? I mean, Elvis was dead. Jerry Mm -hmm. Lee Lewis was a pariah, you know? Roy Orbison couldn't get arrested, you know? Like, they... All the old from the 50s, Chuck Berry was more underground than he was, you know, on top of the world. They're like, no, that was too long ago, right? Yeah, at that point in time, no one cared about Frank Sinatra. Any of those guys, like, he had a a renaissance later on, but at this point in time, no. No, you know, and so John Lennon's gone. George isn't doing a whole lot. Ringo's Ringo. Paul's, like, the only one out there kind of on its own. Now, he got a little bit of momentum from the Pipes of Peace album, then they kind of continued on. But yeah, I think it did a more of a power of good to Paul than mm-hmm. it did uh, for Michael. That's for sure. And it's interesting that it was the first single to me. I mean, I understand you got one of the Beatles, right? But then they're talking now, Michael at the end, I'm like, Oh God, this is horrible. And I listened to this with the wolf cub. And she's like, is that a girl? I'm like, no, honey, that's Michael Jackson. Because his voice is so high. That's a that's a long and complicated story, honey. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> and right I don't now. have time for that yes. right now. Sorry. Michael, we're not going to fight about this, okay? Paul, I think I told you, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <sighs> I've heard it all before, Michael. She told me that I'm her forever lover. You know, don't you remember? Well, after loving me, she says you couldn't love another. Is that what she said? She said it. You keep dreaming. I don't believe it. No, the girl is mine. But it's it's silly. Right. It's just kind of silly at the end of the song there. Don't waste your time. Because <laughs> the nine-year-old boy is mine. Oh, wait, wait. That's the wrong song. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> he's not ten. He's nine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's just skip along Mm -hmm. to Thriller, the title track. Mm -hmm. And I remember the song being longer. It's just under six minutes. I guess I remember the video because the video was like, I don't know, 12 or something like that. 15. It was longer Mm -hmm. because they had to make room to have all that choreographed zombie dance move. And obviously, I listened to it on the album many times before it came out as a single or before they made the video. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of weird, honestly, because they make this epic video. Well, obviously, it had sold so well. They had plenty of money to make this epic video and to do the making of film and give MTV something they could show besides just a five-minute video. Long video, the making of, which was half an hour or more. And so uh, it, it doesn't shock you 
that they not only released this, but had this huge, huge video to go along with it. What I didn't realize was in 84, it won the Grammy for single of the year thriller. Okay. Shocking to me, to be honest with you, because it's the seventh single. It's the last of seven (laughs) singles. And that one wins a Grammy, not to mention goes number four in the US, number 10 in the UK. So it's top 10, both coasts. It's a diamond single in the US. (laughs) 10 million in sales, on the single in the US alone, backed with Things I Do For You, it was double platinum single in the UK. It's unbelievable, the sales from this album, and this, and obviously this is a big part of it, but I think the video, and I wonder what it was like in the UK, because they could maybe show parts of the video on top of the pops. It got to number 10, but it was on, I mean, if you were sick from school at that time, mm-hmm. and you watched MTV for like 15 hours that day, you probably saw it 12 times, man. They ran the hell out of it. Right. And and they did. They had the big premiere. I remember that. And then for the most part, they would show the, the shorter version, uh, even of the video. Mm-hmm. But if you were lucky, like you were talking about watching it for 10 hours a day, they would show the entire 15-minute deal. And then you thought you were the king of the world exactly. if you got to see that. See the whole thing. Correct. Now, now I will admit even though I was 10 years old, I'm a little bit more grown up. The video is a little scary. It's yes. It's pretty intense uh, for, and especially for back then. Yeah. You, know, you hadn't seen the walking dead had not come out yet for many, many years. And yeah, I was, I was watching it again for this. I'm like, yeah, the zombies are like, there's just, there's crap coming off of them. And there's mm-hmm. one guy, like he, there's stuff coming out of his mouth and yeah, it's very, it's, it's intense. The Rick Baker did a, Heck Very good job. job. Yeah, no, yeah. they're coming out of the ground mm-hmm. and they're doing that dragging their leg, but they're still coming at you thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little scary. But then when they start to dance and they can really move, I'm like, okay, zombies can't move like that, man. <laughs> only, only Michael Jackson and professional dancers. But that was a big thing. Honestly, man, to me, if you need all that dancing to sell the music, a lot of times to me, it's because the music isn't that good. Like if mm-hmm. you're Dua Lipa or Lipa Sinka, as I call her, <laughs> you know, yeah, she needs all that dance stuff because, I mean, are the songs really that good? And she's not really singing it, right? She's lip syncing it. But Michael would sing it. And he had these incredible, as a dancer, maybe Usher comes close. But other than that, I've never seen anybody else move the way Michael Jackson does on stage while he's performing. And he, with this video, screwed over an entire couple of years. Because if you go back and watch these videos of the time, once he did the dance video, everybody had to do a dance video. Pretty much. Up to and including people who couldn't dance. <laughs> so you had the you had these things where like, you know, the, they had background dancers and the person who was the actual star of the video was like sitting in a chair mm-hmm. off to the side. There was some, I can't remember which one it was. It was a Stevie Nicks video. 
And it was like that. I'm like, oh, she can't. She can't. Yeah. She's got her little like. She's, but she she's got can't. the ballet dance thing, but, but she can't do it. that. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So she's kind of like, she's off. Like she's admiring the people or something. I'm like, because that's like, everybody has to do that now. That w- that in one second, he set the standard for what music videos are going to be for probably 10 years. And what about his sister, Janet? I mean, that whole. Well, she didn't have a problem. She Rhythm totally Nation okay thing. Yeah, exactly. That's her whole career is basically Correct. doing that kind of stuff. You know, Paula Abdul comes along. Oh, I can dance in my videos, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. might not be a great singer, but I'm a hell of a dancer. So yeah. let's go to it. You know? Yeah, no, you're right. Any of those folks, they had to do that. Even Pat Benatar had to do some of that stuff. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now Vincent Price adding Vincent Price on it is cool. I got to say, he mm-hmm. really lends a good creepiness to it. He sounds really good on it. And I'm like, what a pro. And I bet they didn't pay him much. I mean, I bet they paid him for that day, mm-hmm. whatever his rate was. But I bet he didn't get rich off of this. Uh, it was Quincy and Michael and then maybe Rod who made all the money. But <laughs> this is another Rod right, And this is the Rod right that this gets him that paid yes. to Correct. this day. Right. <laughs> Because I didn't realize that either. I thought I thought that, uh, Michael and or Quincy would have had a hand in this, but no. This was this was all. So this is a would you say a ten million seller single that yeah. you wrote by yourself? Nice. Ching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were getting paid, my man. Getting right. paid forever, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for what they count on the on the page, I can count about fifteen million in sales. On the single worldwide, so it's probably Which, higher than that. Unless you were a huge fan, I don't understand why you would have bought a single off of this record. Because you buy a single because it's like, well, I don't really like this one. Mm-hmm. You didn't like the rest of the record? Come on, just cough it up and buy the whole thing. By the way, I'm pretty sure he says thriller, not thriller. I'm Because tr- this is thriller! He's not <laughs> using the, the first R in thriller most of the time. Take a listen to it. It sounds like filler, but that's just me. Well, you know, the other thing I was going to, I forgot about too until I watched this again was there was that disclaimer at the beginning because he was a big Jehovah's Witness about mm. how, like, you know, this has nothing to do with the occult. I don't right. believe in that. And Not, no so, one's coming back from the dead. Correct. This is just yes. a show. Yeah. Thank you for that. Hi, this is Jim McCarthy of the Arbors, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. All right. Now, here's, here's an interesting part mm-hmm. that's the end of side one. Okay. Generally speaking, if you had three top 10 singles, three platinum singles, one of them a diamond single, mm-hmm. making it one of the greatest of all time, you'd think, that's great. That's mm-hmm. the strength of the album. You right. could put filler on the back, and that's probably what mm-hmm. they did, right? Wrong. <laughs> or? Wrong. The bigger hits, <laughs> to me anyway, are on the second side. And mm-hmm. that's the crazy part about it, man, is that Beat It You're just getting and started. Billie Jean are on the second side of the album. It's unbelievable. So let's let's get into it then, because Beat It to me, see now, as a rock guy, this is the rock song on the record. Correct. And this was always my favorite. I think my mom's and everyone in my orbit back then liked Billie Jean better. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You can like Billie Jean better if you want. It's got a great groove to it. Him walking on those light up, yeah, you know, Tile, uh, yeah, tiles on the video, yeah. that's amazing. We'll get into that in just a second. So, but the third single, which was backed with "Burn Out This," "Burn This Disco Out" in the UK, was backed with "Get on the Floor" in the US. 
comes out February of 83, goes to number one in the U.S., number three in the U.K., 11 million worldwide, 8 million in the U.S. alone on the single. And a lot of that's thanks to, of course, the video where Mm -hmm. it shows basically two rival gangs get ready to go throw down, right? The guys in the bar say, come on, let's get out of here. The guys jumping, coming out of the shadows, coming out of the sewers. Meanwhile, Michael is sitting in his single bed with mm-hmm. the keyboard shirt on, Correct. like singing and getting ready. <laughs> you know, and then he walks through the empty bar. He walks through the empty pool hall that they were in, getting ready for. I mean, what did you think of this video when it came out? I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. It wasn't like a thriller, so it was, you know, it's kind of had the story to it. Even back then, I thought I understand what we're doing here, but these guys don't look all that tough to me. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think street gangs who are going to kill each other look like these guys, but. <laughs> Who knows? Although I'm about to ruin this for you. So this was pointed out to me not too long ago when he's singing by the pool tables. Mm -hmm. They don't have hole. There are no holes in the pool table. Well, so those are billiards tables, right? I I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are. All I know is that it's a green felt table with no pockets in it. So I don't know whether it's a prop or what the deal is, but I can't unsee that now. Well, no, there there are billiards tables like because there's there's pool and there's snooker and then there's billiards where there are no. It's basically about what angle you hit it at and where the ball okay. ends up. There's no pockets like regular pool like the rest of us would play. So in a big pool hall, yeah, you would probably have some of those. It's not real popular, but yeah, some people do play it. I think it's actually bigger in England than it is here. Well, we came here to play pool. I don't play pool, Mr. Felton. I play billiards. But yeah, I, I always thought that was a, a, a that was the other thing, too. So this is about gangs and fighting and being a tough person. Mm -hmm. And I guess it really, it turns out in doing research for this, it was, it's something to do with him growing up in the worst place on the face of the earth, Gary, Indiana, and just (laughs) seeing people fight all the time. But yeah, that keyboard shirt kind of takes you out of the, uh, takes (laughs) you out of it. You're trying to be tough and you're wearing that. Okay. And they did actually have some real gang members as like extras on the set, but the dancers (laughs) <laughs> we're obviously not gang members. Correct. And I, you know, look, as someone who grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, a lot of places in Indiana are the worst place to grow up. <laughs> but yeah, Gary's a little working class. It's not, you know, there's, it's, it's like the Jacksons are from there and that's all they really celebrate, I feel like. <laughs> but look, Steve Lukather of Toto fame played guitar and bass on this. So that the main riff, that's him. The Picaro brothers, Jeff and Steve both played on this so this is you know it's a very toto song believe mm-hmm. it or not but then what made it so special at least to my rock and roll ears is eddie solo eddie van halen coming in and, and ripping that up okay so at, but at that point in time you had no idea who van halen was right that's right i didn't really know till the summer of 84 i didn't either and mm-hmm. so it so you're like yeah what is this this sound this doesn't sound like anything i've ever heard before I was under the impression that whoever played that played the rest of the album, played the of rest course. of the track too, which is not true. But yeah, it, then it was 84 came out and then it was 
oh yeah, by the way, do you know he played on Michael Jackson's it. record? No, he didn't. And then you listen, you're like, as soon as you hear it again, yes, that's like, exactly it's it. Obvious it, it, who it yes. is. It couldn't really be anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And so I, to me, this was always my favorite. I mean, it's a mm. rock song and it comes out. Uh, it's winter of 83, but it was big in the spring of 83 and certainly into the summer of 83. And to me, this is the one that, like you say, what's the best song off of Thriller? I automatically say beat it. Mm -hmm. I, like without thinking, I say beat it. I could maybe change my mind on that if I really listened to all these more and, and take out the, the qualities that some of them have. But it's I'm too emotionally connected <laughs> to beat it. And I listen to it a million times and that was what was great about having it as song one on the second side is that you could listen to thriller flip it and then you can listen to beat it ah uh, okay you know and listen to beat it all the way through or you could always just rewind it oh let's hear it again didn't know who steve lukather was obviously he's not in the video <laughs> didn't really know Correct. who toto was i mean i guess i knew africa and rosanna but that came out around the same time mm. so you know toto's kind of on fire here too right if toto 4 comes out or was that that might have been 82 so if toto 4 which is obviously their biggest seller yeah it came out in march of 82 and then throughout 82 they helped make this those guys are establishing themselves as huge mm -hmm. like songwriters and session guys luke's played on like three thousand records or something like that. <laughs> something crazy like that you know so i mean they're, they're established of course i think like most all of their fathers were like composers or mm. you know professional musicians in some way so they they had the goods but yeah michael wrote this on his own although i think don landy helped engineer eddie's part and beat it well there's there's a there's an interview that with eddie van halen that says that he claims that he went in there and reworked parts of this more than just the solo so i don't know what was going on with that but when you go when you have the argument of what's the best eddie van halen solo this has got to be up there at the top i mean it's it's still pretty hot and i know he didn't play on the rest of the track but that is a standalone piece is pretty strong i know and i'm sorry that we never really got to see him and michael jackson do it together because why not why not bring him up one night somewhere yeah. to have him do it because like doing research for the girl is mine Neither of them ever played that live. Neither okay. Michael or Paul never played it. Now, I understand why Paul didn't play it, because it wasn't his song. He doesn't have anyone to sing with Michael with him. And you're not going to do that end part with anyone right, yeah. but Michael, right? Yeah. But there was never a special occasion. There was never an awards ceremony. There was never one show. Michael's in London, and they break it out. No, neither of them ever played it live. And part of it's because it's kind of weak. But... It would have been awesome to sometime have Eddie step up and do this. Now, I understand this comes out before 1984. So Eddie's big in the rock world, but he didn't have that huge status that he got once Mainstream, 1984 yeah. came out. Mm -hmm. And he wants to just keep it in the band, right? Just right. Keep keep it in the band all right you know that now but though the, quickly though how cool would that have been if they if they had done an entire like thriller cover to cover and brought all those people out wow yeah right yeah i mean that would be crazy i mean yeah they're talking about they'd have to set up they have to change stuff between songs like like they're changing equipment between bands right now it's just between songs because all these other people got to come out there <laughs> now there's a ton of talent on this no doubt about it i love beat it but billy jean mm -hmm. may have been bigger and it did kind of hit number one all around the world 
But this is Lewis Johnson really standing out to me as far as I'm concerned. I always love the bass on this one. Interesting. Okay. Because that's apparently an interesting story. In 1985, when they were doing We Are the World, Mm -hmm. apparently there were so many people there that there were no handlers. Like it was just artists and that was it. There was too many. So basically, this is Daryl Hall now saying it was like being back in high school where it was like, oh, hey, Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. I think you're pretty cool, man. (laughs) So he so Michael Jackson tracks him down, Daryl Hall, and he's like, "Oh, I just want to tell you that I ripped off. I can't go for that. That's the baseline. I can't go for that." And apparently, Daryl Hall said, "Man, I ripped it off from somebody else, and right. that's just what <laughs> that's we did." The way it works. The, yeah, that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, we're not suing each other. That's right. That's, you know, but yeah. but you're right. That is a sick baseline. And then the video with him stepping on those tiles, mm. and maybe there's a tiger around there. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because, look, on the cassette here, I got it. Long-form cassette. There he is with a little tiger. When you you fold it When you flip it open, yeah. yeah. So Mm -hmm. that that was kind of part of it. And that's it, by the way. It's like, there's no notes on this original cassette. It's like, (laughs) the songs are listed on the front, underneath Michael. You see Michael stretched out on the inside. It's the same shot. It's just, you can see on his leg, he's got like a tiger cub. And that's it. There's There's not much to it. So there's no information about who wrote the songs, who played on the songs. There's nothing in there. I th- it may see produced by Quincy Jones somewhere on the side here. Okay. I can't really read it because my eyes aren't that good. But yeah, I mean, no, yeah, no, it says it on the cassette produced by Quincy Jones for Quincy Jones Productions. <laughs> but Billie Jean was, I mean, obviously it's about a girl. Correct. Was it? I, I guess it depends on who you who you listen to apparently it would apparently back in the day with the because michael was the youngest and he had the his older brothers apparently this was a pretty common occurrence with people coming to them and writing them saying hey this is your kid and yeah right like, okay you need to you need to take a big step back because no yeah uh, tito's the father no he's sterile i, I mean jermaine jermaine's the father <laughs> He was dating someone else at the time. Marlon's the father. You know, like, <laughs> You're just going through. Wait, who else is in the band? Okay, yes. Michael's the father. He only likes boys. Ah, damn it. I gotta get one of these guys. <laughs> now, it was released January 2nd, backed with Can't Get Out of the Rain in the US, and it's The Falling in Love in the UK. Went to number one almost everywhere in the world. Second single off here. I mean, certainly in the US, but like US on several charts. Year-end chart, it was only number two. But number one, cash box. Number one, hot black singles. Number one, hot 100. Number one, UK, Switzerland, Spain, Italy, Ireland, France, (laughs) Canada, Australia. And that doesn't include the places that it was number two. Mm -hmm. I mean, went to number three in Zimbabwe. Diamond in the US. Diamond single in the U.S., triple platinum in the U.K., double diamond in Mexico, 
damn near diamond in Australia. I mean, tens of millions of copies of this song out there. It's unbelievable. And they didn't even have, most of these countries didn't really have the benefit of MTV Mm. to sell it like we had it here, you know? So then was this, this was probably the first record that really had a worldwide phenomenon. Like there were, there were records that were big in certain parts, but I mean, this is everywhere in the world knew this one. Yeah, pretty much, you know, and it's appealing to the pop and it's appealing to the R&B and mm-hmm. it's appealing to the easy listening and adult contemporary. And it's, it's appealing with beat it. it get, that would get on the rock channel. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, all of this stuff was, was doing, and then thanks to MTV, it's like just throwing gasoline on a fire, man. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But I wonder if, because I believe him and watching his brothers go through all this, like there's always girls saying, you know, I'm pregnant with your child. I wonder if that scared him away from grown women a little bit when he was a little kid, it's like, all they're trying to do is get pregnant. And then they're trying to sue you and get in, you know, get your money and get into your life that way. And I wonder if that helped him keep him at arm's length a little bit more. Right. It had to be very, very hard to have any kind of personal relationship with somebody who was not in your orbit Mm -hmm. because yeah, you would always seeing that as a kid. Yes. That's the first thing you would think of is they're just trying to come after my money or break me over. Get pregnant. Yeah. 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 So apparently like he was, when he was making this record or the, beginning to make this record that was his deal he was famous he had money but he had no life really like he was just alone mm-hmm. so it was it's was a very strange place to be in everybody loves you but no one really knows you yeah and like his father was so hard on him and used to you know yeah. beat the kids not to mention work the hell out of them mm-hmm. to make sure they were perfect now anytime you saw him on tv or in concert they were pretty perfect i mean they had the dance moves down they had the singing down they let tito play the bass or whatever <laughs> you know or uh, but i mean yeah i mean they they had the moves down they were professionals but yeah it robbed them of their childhood and then something like falling in love or starting to get girls to be interested in you or whatever even that's kind of ruined because it's kind of ruined by your brothers always being accused or having to deal with lawsuits or all this other nonsense. So it's like, yeah, you're right. I better stay away from from these people. And this but, and this had to be a weird time too for for everybody else because you know the Jackson Five were very successful. Yeah. And then he takes off, and everybody else, like I know, like the rest of them had records they put out, or some of them did. I, you know, Tito and Jermaine yeah. had records, but nothing like this. And it's kind of like now you're just left in the dust and. And, you know, you're doing your thing and all anybody wants to talk about is Michael. I yeah, know. So, you know, how's your brother? Uh, well, you know, he's great. Thanks. And of course, eventually he did the victory record and tour with his brothers. Right. So it's not to leave him in the dust. It's like, okay, you're huge. You're the biggest thing in the world. Now what are you going to do? Well, now I'm going to go back into an album with my brothers because there he could have left them and never even spoken to any of them again. <laughs> Correct. Right? But I think the family's like, look, you need to spread this around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go back out? With the Jacksons, because now Randy was in the band. He was too little to be in the Jackson 5. So they're not the Jackson 5 anymore. Now they're the Jacksons. And mm-hmm. they do the victory tour, which is huge. Huge. Big for the other guys. But, you know, it's Michael's the obvious superstar here. And they all kind of need to. Because, yeah, I remember Jermaine's do what you do, what you did, what you did to me song. Yeah. yeah. Chris Rock had a big. He was, I about to do what you do when you did what you did to me album. Jermaine. <laughs> love chris rock all right we, we got to keep moving on here because gotta keep going here there's okay. more platinum singles to come somehow the third song which was the fifth so, uh single released on the album is human nature 
Mm-hmm. Which, of course, went to number seven in the U.S., number two on adult contemporary, backed with Baby Be Mine. So there's Rod getting himself into another platinum U.S. Mm. single on the B-side. I like this one, though. It's chill. It's chill. It's more easy listening adult contemporary than some of the other stuff is. But but I like it. So this is a this is a Steve Picaro right. So Correct. it's a different. It's got a kind of a different feel to it. Lucifer's on the guitar again, so it's not quite as rocking, but it has a. It, yeah, it just has a really different feel to it. Some of the lyrics are a little strange, although I see I now what we were talking about before. I see this now in this track of him desperately wanting to make a connection with somebody, you right? Know, reaching out to touch a stranger. I wouldn't recommend that. Right. Probably not good. But just that that desperate, you know, wanting to be with somebody, have some kind yes, of human connection. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Not just people trying to make money off of you, you know. Right. And- yeah. People that don't see you as a commodity, which I don't think he ever had anybody that didn't. You know, from his from his yeah. family to. Anybody that he was remotely connected with, it was always a money deal. Yeah, even Quincy, who probably was a father figure for to him, and and took really good care of him, and obviously mm-hmm. helped him make great records. But still, that's still a transactional business relationship on some level, you know. Right. What I didn't realize is that Steve Picaro wrote this song mm-hmm. of Toto, and he wrote it for his daughter. Because she was a kid, she's like nine or ten, and some boy's hitting her in school. He's like, well, honey, it's probably because he likes you, and that's and it's just human nature. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote this song kind of for her, and then they had John Bettis come in and change the lyrics to more like, you know, walking through the streets of New York, you know, okay. trying to reach out and make a connection that way. So it was, it was a Percaro song, but they had John Bettis change the lyrics so it would fit Michael more. You know, and like being in Studio 54 is great, but yet it's still odd because Mm. it's all about famous people who just want to take a picture or be next to you or that kind of thing. There's no real connection there. It's 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 fake. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think it's much better as a Michael Jackson R&B song than it ever would have been as a Toto, you know, contemporary mid range song. You know what I mean? Right, and and even though this is, and this is the tough part, is that it was a, it was a it was a single. It did well. It didn't do as well as some of the other ones. But I mean, this is still a pretty good song. Again, you know, you put this on, you're like, oh yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, this was pretty good. And it's that that kind of keyboard. Yeah, it's it's great. The production on here is unbelievable. There's so many layers of production. This is one of those where like you put it on the killer stereo, right, with the the best speakers in the world with the little tips on the ends of them and do the surround sound and you know, SACD and or whatever it is, whatever the highest quality, mm-hmm. this would stand out in a big way because there's so many little things going it, it, around all over the place. Yeah. It, it's more like it's, it's, um, it, what are they? It's scored. It's, it's, mm-hmm. or it's got, a, it's got more of an orchestral. Absolutely composition to it and that's quincy and that's quincy and his genius throwing in horns all over the place Mm -hmm. lots of different keyboards some programmed drum stuff but then also some real bass it's just and then michael's voice crisp and clear it's beautiful i mean i gotta admit 
I haven't listened to this much since 1984, mm-hmm. maybe at all. For whatever reason, they tend to play this a lot on some of the easier listening stations around right. Louisville here because the rock stations around here kind of suck. <laughs> and it's like they play Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi, Pat Benatar, mm. like they're the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. Like you can't go through that. I could play bingo. Like how long is it going to be before I hear Bon Jovi? <laughs> how long is it going to be before I hear Pat Benatar? So I so I flip around to different stations and they're playing a lot of Michael Jackson. And the Wolf comes like, "This is nice. Is that a girl, Daddy? No, honey. It's it's Michael Jackson. But you're right. It's an amazing song. It's beautiful. It was the biggest thing in the whole world. I'll play it for you one day. But we're going to move along. All right. To the eighth track or track four on the second side. Mm-hmm. PYT. Yes. Pretty young thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a little. This was a little funkier. This has got a little bit more of a funk beat to it. Little, little different. Yeah, and and it's 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 quicker paced. This was the sixth of the seven singles. Mm-hmm. Back with this place hotel in the UK, and then working day and night, or the thriller instrumental in the US. All right. It did get to number ten in the US which makes it another top 10 hit (laughs) 11 in the UK, four times platinum, four times platinum as a single in the U S alone. The high pitch thing at the end. It's a little gimmicky, but you know exactly what it was. I mean, you hear that like, Oh yeah, it's PYT. And there's like pretty young thing. I'm like, are you talking about fucking pretty young things? Cause that's kind (laughs) of what it sounds like. <laughs> pretty young thing and he's like repeat after me na 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 they're really high na 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 Because the people he really liked had very high voices. I don't know. I don't really again, want to get into it. <laughs> well, but, but again, at this point in time, none of that had come to light at all. Right. And I think I do remember Ronald Reagan making a reference to this. Like he was trying to be cool, you know, like blah, 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 and all the PYTs out there or something like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, it's, and I remember Michael Jackson going to the, to the White House and meeting with, with uh, Ron and Nancy and mm-hmm. just thinking like, yeah, th- this dude is the biggest thing on the face of the earth. Because, I mean, Enormous. when you can go there and have a, 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 you know, it wasn't part of anything. Like, he was visiting there as an event. Just just showing enormous. up like, hey, I'm, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So the PYTs included his sisters, Janet and LaToya, mm-hmm. doing that high pitch part. Someone named Becky Lopez, someone named Bunny Hull, and also mm-hmm. Mindy Cohen. Mm-hmm who is most famous for being Natalie on The Facts of Life. She's also done a lot of work as Velma in Latter-day Scooby-Doo cartoons. How did she get on there? <laughs> it was actually I, I saw I saw something randomly on YouTube about that. She was it was she was a friend of somebody who knew somebody who like she was at the studio that day, and they're like, "Why don't you just come in and and sing?" And there's like, "There's there's no way that's a real story." And then at the end, they flashed a picture up with her and everybody else, you know, <laughs> Latoya and Janet and Michael Jackson. I'm like, I guess it is real. It's, it's just, true. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. I had no idea, of course. But yeah, you know, and it uh, it hit. Uh, I mean, charted around the world, 
did awfully well in the U.S. Number ten, four million in sales alone in the U.S. So that's another at least five million selling single. So the the numbers are really starting to add up here now, Jackson. I mean, you've got two diamond singles, you've got multi platinum singles besides that, and the album itself. I mean, we're talking between the singles and the album, a hundred and fifty million units in sales. That's unbelievable. It yeah. It's it's just it. I knew this was a big seller. Like you all, you you just have that in the back of your mind. Okay, I understand that. But yeah, when you really start looking at it, this will never happen again, ever in a million years. It's too. It was too universally accepted. Exactly. Everyone liked it. Old people, young mm-hmm. people, college kids, white people, black people, Hispanic people, people all over the world. Every different chart. Probably and, people that hadn't bought a record. In 10 years. So like, yeah, "Eh, music, blah, blah. Oh, I'm Thriller. You know I have a copy of that. Gotta have this. Yeah. You know, and then between PYT and Thriller coming out, Say, Say, Say comes Mm -hmm. out with the video of them being like minstrels who are traveling across the land back in the day, like doing their shows. To me, it's way better than uh, The Girl Is Mine. I mean, it's it's like not even close. It's a platinum single. It's number one in the U.S. It's number two in the U.K. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michael D- Jackson could have taken his shit and put it on vinyl and it would have gotten to the top 20, I'm sure, at this point, man. <laughs> Just unstoppable. But that brings us to the ninth song in the album, mm-hmm. The Lady in My Life, the third penned by our buddy Rod here. Mm-hmm. I will admit that this may be the first time I listened to the song all the way through. Okay. As far as I was concerned, this was a new song because after you hit beat it, Billy Jean, human nature, PYT, you're done. Yeah. You're pretty well done. And then you hear this. I don't know this. Let's just fast forward to it and flip it and, and listen to the whole thing again. Right. Mm-hmm. That was my mentality. So I really don't remember this one at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I've never heard this until three days ago, mm-hmm. but this, I think this is another one where it's kind of, it's kind of generic. It's kind of it is. of the time, but had this been somebody else, it probably would have been a single probably would have been a moderate hit. It's not a bad song. It just gets swallowed up by this thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe if George Benson or somebody like right, that, yeah, that's it. what I'm thinking. Yeah. It, it probably would have been a hit on adult contemporary or something. It's yeah. yeah it's, it's kind of a fairly catchy it's, but it's kind of forgettable. But it just wasn't going to stand out on this thing. No, it's easy listening. You mm-hmm. probably call it a ballad. It's very slow compared to the rest of the stuff on the record. But there is a lot going on underneath. Like you can mm-hmm. tell Quincy has just produced the heck out of it. Some of the horns have a little bit of a Chicago feel to it in a couple of spots there. Mm-hmm. I feel like. but yeah it's just at this point it's like the i can't i can't take anymore it's just there's too many enormous hits seven top 10 hits in the united states of america seven platinum singles but i think with that being said 
It is, hold on. I think the album is only 42 minutes long. Yeah. So now I can see why you you would say, well, we got well, we got to put one more on here to make it right. an album length. So, you know, what else do we have? And he, obviously we mentioned some songs that were B-sides that didn't end up on the album. So, and I'm, I'm sure they're part of the deluxe repackages and I, there must have been some of those over the years. I never bought it, and I never bought anything of Michael Jackson's after this period. In, in 83, 84, 85, Michael Jackson, huge. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson sitting on top of the world. Axel Foley wrote a story about in Rolling Stone magazine about it. He interviewed him for it, right? It's huge. I know Bad came along later, and obviously the Victory Tour was good for his family, but I had tuned out at that point. I was mm-hmm. a rock guy at that point. And wasn't yeah, I think, to bad. I think bad didn't come out till like 87. That's I right. I think. Yeah. And at, the, yeah, at that point in time, that had passed me by. Now, it was huge. And I think it was at least double diamond in the US or something mm-hmm. like that. It wasn't like his career was over. And he kind of continued the, the theme of, you know, he's going to have these dance videos and stuff like that. But it was just, it was a moment in time. Michael Jackson, that early to mid 80s period, biggest thing in the world. It's like you couldn't. No matter what you did after Thriller, it wasn't going to be as big. It doesn't matter, right? And then yeah. that's the problem is that yeah, like you said, no matter what it is, even if it, even if for anybody else they would kill to have the bad record, yeah. But for him, it's a letdown. And even I mean, that's when Weird Al Yankovic came into the picture for me. He'd already existed. He had I Love Rocky Road and <laughs> and, and some stuff like that. But when he did Eat It mm-hmm. on his In 3D album. That catapulted him to platinum status because it's got a Michael Jackson. Not to mention, he did the video and he wore the same costume kind of and (laughs) in some of the same places, even got some of the same dancers in the video, you know. So to me, the reason Weird Al is so big today is really Michael Jackson and and, and his Eat It song. Uh, Obviously, he did Fat for Bad. But, I mean, he made his name, really, to me, off Eat It, from Beat It, from Thriller, from Michael Jackson. Right. Yeah. And that, that is crazy to think that you have a whole person with an entirely separate career, basically, launched from the same deal. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, not getting into any of his personal stuff, because that's that's a waste of our time. Yeah, correct. We don't need to get into all that. But as far as the power of this record, it's unmatched. And mm-hmm. going back and listening to it now... Boy, the production's unbelievable. His voice is unbelievable. That, that's that's what I was kind of thinking too. Like if you go back and, and listen to a lot of these records from this time, you're mm-hmm. gonna say, "Uh, yeah, uh, that's 1983." I can yeah, hear it sounds, in the keyboard. Yeah, you know, it sounds dated. This real. I mean, there there are there are a couple moments, but overall, not really. I mean, it still sounds pretty fresh today, and also. It's probably something that most people would know, even today. Even people who didn't grow up with this, you would you still have that. It 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 carried forward into generations past. That's right. And I I just always wonder what it's like for like a twenty five year old, somebody who's twenty five years old now, right? So they were born in ninety eight, and then when they're eight or nine in the mid two thousands or whatever, would if they heard this, it couldn't have the same effect on them. I mean, it could sonically they could hear, oh wow, that's really amazing. Yes, he's got a great voice, but not being there when it comes out, seeing the videos on MTV, mm-hmm. being there for the premiere of Thriller. Right. Right, seeing him on Motown 25 doing the moonwalk, you can go back and see it. But if you didn't live through it, and and, and I, you know, like our buddy Sonny Pooney's like that. Is like if it didn't come out while I was into music, then it's old, you know. Then I then I didn't <laughs> listen to it, you know. And I and 
Travis was like that in college. He's like, oh, that's old, man. That came out before I knew what was what. I'm like, yeah, but it's still awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. But so I guess I sound like if you didn't grow up when I did, you missed out. You could be older, but you couldn't be much younger and have the same appreciation for Thriller as we do. Correct. But you may without knowing it because you were mentioning like you, you mentioned usher mm-hmm. right before where do you think he figured all this out on his own not so much yeah he was listening to throw it if you listen to the weekend yeah he's huge now he is you would swear that was a michael jackson ripoff i mean the the influence that this had everything in probably r&b after this there's some piece of michael jackson somewhere in this Absolutely. And, you know, Quincy Jones was already kind of a legend. Now he's like alone by himself. Like he might have been mm-hmm. on a Mount Rushmore of great <laughs> legends. Now it's just Quincy Jones and there's <laughs> nobody else there. But look at these single releases. Girl is Mine, October 18th, 82. Billie Jean, January 2nd, 83. Beat It, February 14th. Want to be starting something May 8th. Human Nature, July 3rd. PYT, September 19th. Throw in Say, Say, Say in like October. And then Thriller, November 5th. I mean, just you couldn't get away from it right. if you wanted to. That's, that's an, yeah, that's an entire, it's a year and change of it never going away. Yeah. And then MTV's on fire because they've got this huge Michael Jackson premiere Thriller video on December 2nd. And then a few days later, they've got Asia in Asia, the first ever satellite broadcast mm-hmm you know, around the world. So that was a huge month for MTV. In retrospect, the Michael Jackson thriller premiere was a lot bigger than Asian Asia ever was or will be. Right, but still still very ambitious for a a fledgling cable right. channel. Only two years old, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, so God, what if David Geffen had been behind Michael Jackson? How much bigger would he have been, you know? Uh, right. if, he, if he can get a little band with like Asia that had a couple of hits to be the first ever... <laughs> broadcast satellite you know what could he have done with michael jackson oh my Mm -hmm. goodness but uh, but it's it's quincy jones it's michael jackson it's before the real craziness and ugliness kind of came into play but yeah number one album u.s for weeks and weeks it was the number one selling album in 1983 and 1984 yeah i think they said it was number one for 37 weeks non-consecutive but still 37 weeks again that will never happen again no way no that's crazy and number one in top 10 all around the world tens of millions i mean seriously they say over 100 million including Mm -hmm. all the digital sales over 100 million worldwide and then you throw in all the singles too you're talking like 150 million. No wonder Unbelievable. he could get away with doing whatever he wanted. <laughs> no one's going to tell you no. That cash cow needs to keep Correct. churning, Correct. man. Yeah. But I'm sorry he died at, at such a relatively young age. He was 50. I, I didn't realize that. At, at, I mean, I, get, I knew it, but it didn't really hit me until I was looking at this. And like, yeah, he was only 50 years old. But he, I guess, the, the, when, when did he die? 2010, maybe? Two, okay, so in 2010, well, he had been know. a he had been around for so long, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. I just figured he was older than that, but he started when he was so young yeah. that he was, yeah, he was only 50. That's ridiculous. It was 2009. Yeah. It was 2009. Yeah. And even that I remember was, that was like, everybody stopped, you know, it was, I can't even, I was oh, at yeah. a bar or something mm-hmm. or a restaurant with, with big TVs. And it was like, there was a, wait, what just happened? Michael Jackson died. Oh my goodness. 
So even then it was big news. No, but I mean, he made his public debut in 1964. You know, he, he was on TV before we were born, Jackson, yeah. you know, I mean, and we're 50, you know, yeah. now. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting up there now. Yeah, I, we don't know a world without Michael Jackson. Whereas, you know, there'll be people now who discover his music. You're like, oh, man, I wish I'd been around. You do wish you'd been right. around because it was something else. It was a phenomenon unlike anything. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I wasn't there for Beatlemania. But there's four of them, and some of that's in black and white, and they can't really move, right? They kind of can jostle their guitars and right. shake their head. Woo! But to see this guy do his dance moves live and in these videos was unbelievable. It was life-changing. First cassette I ever bought. Now I have like 2,000 albums or something <laughs> like that. But you still this, have it, though. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't give mm -hmm. it away for the world. Even though I haven't listened to it, because it's a tape, it'd probably fall apart. But it's a, it's a treasure to me. It was the start of something, even though I'm more of a rock guy. Right, right. I, it, not, it caught you. It caught you in a moment where you said, "I wanted. I want to have this thing to be able to listen to it whenever I want, and not be subject to the radio airwaves." Yeah, there is something about that where even if maybe you don't listen to it now, you still have that relationship with it. I, I memories and and yes. uh, yeah, just remembering the good times. Exactly. Yeah, and then I think the next two men at work business as usual and cargo because they both kind of hit in america at the same time they kind of delayed right. business as usual for a while in america and then they both kind of hit at the same time duran duran i think was fourth and then the police synchronicity was fifth okay and i yeah. don't really remember after that but i remember those five <laughs> were in order for a reason wow. it, and it was duran duran's first album so it went thriller business as usual cargo duran duran synchronicity and well, we've covered most of those in one way or another on this show at this point, mm -hmm. Jackson. <laughs> well, that's why we're here, because either we talk about this with each other over the airwaves here, or we drive our families crazy, so. That's right. <laughs> and I'm proud to do both, but I think this is the healthier outlook yeah, for everyone. Exactly. And being that Thriller is kind of the scary Halloween one, I'm like, what's a good Halloween theme? This thing's about to turn 41. I'm not going to wait for it to turn 50 to do it. I'm like, you mm -hmm. know what? Let's, let's, let's attack thriller and kind of get it out of the way because like we, we can't not, you can't ignore. Yeah. You can't ignore it. Do thriller. Yeah. yeah. As far as if this, if there's any kind of personal or autobiographical piece of this podcast, you can't have 150 shows and not talk about like what thriller meant to the formation of watching MTV, buying mm -hmm. records, listening to things we like and being able to pick out things like, Oh, that is Eddie Van Hale, it isn't, yeah. you know. Well, it may not be the usual rock and roll fair we cover on this show, but we thought it was important to cover Thriller at some point because of the cultural impact and the way it impressed upon us when we were kids. I mean, it comes out when we're nine years old, huge when we're 10, 11, 12 years old, all over MTV, and you'll never again see anything like the phenomenon of Michael Jackson, the rise of MTV, this huge juggernaut album all kind of coming together at once at the dawn of a new era, post-punk, post-disco era of the 80s. There's been nothing else like it in my lifetime. Like I said during the show, I wasn't around for Beatlemania, but what went on with Michael Jackson in the 80s there was unbelievable. The sales prove it. And if you didn't live through it, you'll probably never understand it quite the same way. You can appreciate the music, of course, but sitting up to see the Thriller video and the making of movie, seeing him on Motown 25 doing the moonwalk, 
these moments, seeing him accept all the Grammys with his glasses on, it was just culturally significant in a way that I don't know that we'll ever see again. A couple things to clear up real fast. Toto 4 did come out in April of 82, not March. I think the single Rosanna came out in March, but the album wasn't until 1982. And, well, Quincy Jones doesn't have a gazillion uh, Grammys. He has 28 on 80 nominations. The most, of course, is by Beyonce, who now has 32, and just edged out by conductor George Salty, who won 31, but it's a sick number. Michael, by the way, uh, won 13, and David Foster, who I think I said had 18 during the show, actually has 16. Wasn't way off there. But this album alone won eight, I think, in 1983 or whenever it was. Huge, huge, big part of American culture and really worldwide culture. And as it's a big Halloween-themed song thriller and that it's 41st anniversary is coming around Thanksgiving, we thought it'd be a fun one to do. But speaking of mistakes, folks, hey, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You can also tweet us, DM us, at Ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know about the albums, the artists, the tours, the songs, the books, the DVDs, the concerts, the rock and roll you want to know about. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please, folks, if you're thinking about it, do give us a positive review. It is huge for us. It just so helps us find other rock fans like you and helps us grow the show. So if you're thinking about it, please go ahead and do that. Won't take you a minute. If we get wind of it, you send it to us. Might just read it on the show. We want to thank Pantheon Pods for welcoming us to the family. Check them out at Pantheon Pods. And of course, to our amazing sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Wherever in the world you are, use code UGLY on RareVinyl.com and save 10% off your orders. Michael Jackson, Jackson 5, or otherwise. That's it, folks. That was a long one. Be sure to tune in next time. And to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do. To keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.